0: Approach pain relief from the ground up with Curex. Curex makes highly customizable over-the-counter insoles thanks to their dynamic arch technology, which provides different support for different arch types. They were developed by German scientists for the specific foot movements of various activities delivering the right support and cushion where it's needed the most. Curex makes the largest selection of activity-specific insoles for running, hiking, golfing, biking, soccer, tennis, or solely for walking and everyday wear. That's the Curex difference, and it can make a difference for your patients. For a free sample, email curexinside at curex.us. That's C-U-R-R-E-X inside at curex.us. Hello, and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Dr. Tracy Blake, Sports Physiotherapist and PhD, is Lead Physiotherapist for Volleyball Canada. This week, Dr. Blake joins us from her team training camp base in Turkey to share what it's like supporting athletes to reach the Tokyo Olympics in peak condition and ready to perform. From arranging logistics, surviving out of a suitcase for months on end, and why teamwork is crucial to keeping the whole show on the road. Tracy also shares the latest updates on COVID protocols for the athletes and support staff in Tokyo. Tracy, welcome to the JOSPT Insights
1: podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Can you let us know where in the world you are?
1: <laughs> yes. So right now I am in Izmir, Turkey, where I have been for. Roughly a week in this particular part of Izmir and I've been in Turkey for just over two weeks.
0: It's not often that we get to talk with someone who's in an Olympic training preparation phase with a with a team so can you walk us through what your role is now within the team and perhaps you might go into some of the lead-up as well because I think everybody recognizes that the lead-up to this Olympics well we all know it was postponed from was Tokyo 2020 and now it's Tokyo 2021 so can you give us a bit of a sense of what the lead-in has been like for you and the volleyball team that you're supporting for Canada?
1: So my role is as the lead physiotherapist for the Canadian National Indoor Men's Volleyball Team in a regular year. We always have an international season or, or we've qualified regularly for it's called um, Volleyball Nations League, used to be called World League. And so it is an international season that in normal times would see us traveling for five weeks, a different country every week, playing three other teams in each country. In this year, because of COVID, instead of having us gallivanting continent to continent every week, they centralized and created a bubble. So what we have is a team that is made up of professional players. So they all play pro elsewhere in the world. Canada doesn't have a professional volleyball league. We come together in our central training environment in Canada, which is Gatineau, Quebec. Approximately five days before we left the country in May, we as a team decided that in order to maintain our training integrity and run up to the Olympics, that we weren't going to come back to Canada because the amount of time that we would have to spend not training and the strictness of the quarantine, given that we were going to be in a bubble before that, was such that we thought from a physical and mental perspective that Creating our own situation in Europe and and moving in that direction was the best fit for our team. So we were in Gatineau for three weeks and then we left around the 22nd, 23rd of May. Went to Italy. We're in that bubble. We played 15 games in approximately 30 days. Then we went from there to Izmir. We had a bit of a break to have just a bit of time off, a bit of off time from training. So we did that for five days and then started up training again in Izmir, where our head coach is the coach of the professional team here. So he had connections that allowed us to sort of create a a new training environment to prep going into what will then be phase three, which includes acclimatization in Japan. So we'll be going to Shua, Japan for approximately seven to nine days, I believe. And then the first day that the Olympic Village opens, we will go into the village. Now we're
0: recording in early July and you've been out of Canada now for a couple of months living out of your suitcase for that whole time. How have you kept your own health and well-being in check? How have you taken care of yourself because, you know, you need to be in good shape and feeling healthy and from both a physical and mental perspective so that you can best support the athletes. So, what are what are your tips there for for folks who are, you know, thinking of this kind of a career?
1: So my first tip is don't do what I've done. So I have been, frankly, atrocious in many ways at handling my own self-care, my own health and wellness habits. I am a notoriously poor sleeper, which works great for jet lag, but not so great for sort of rest and recovery. But I think that is actually the first thing is whatever you need to do to orient and reorient yourself to sleep. Sleep helps you eat better, sleep helps you control your temper, <laughs> sleep helps you control your emotions and emotional regulations in an environment that, and we know this in sport, is always unpredictable, is always high stakes. But in a year where it is both an Olympic year, in a year where it is, there, there's a pandemic happening. So there's a lot of balls in the air and a lot of, a lot of things to be managed on top of what we would consider our normal job around injury prevention, rehabilitation, and return to performance. And so sleep is key to sort of helping you situate yourself in a a situation where you can juggle those balls as adeptly as possible. Food is, again, important. We're very lucky that a lot of the food is provided. But for me, what that actually means is watching how I moderate. I actually usually don't eat breakfast with the team because I'm 5'6". And it turns out eating like a 6'9 professional volleyball player is not great for me. <laughs> um, so I usually um, make sure that I have fruit and water in my room, which is the other big thing. Holy hydrate, just hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. My colleagues, they are quite good at working out and figuring out ways to work out and get into gyms. I less so, but will do things in my room. So I brought a Corex for me for myself, for example using a towel and just going through some yoga poses, meditating, reading things that have literally nothing to do with my job or my work. I'm very good at that part. When possible, connection with with home, connection with family, connection with people who are outside the volleyball world. Those things that act as touch points when you are insulated for such a long time, you can get goggles about what's important and having connections with, Family and friends and what's happening in the outside world lends to a much needed perspective when you're in this kind of environment.
0: Before we started recording, you showed me a glimpse of the setup for your treatment area in your hotel room. Can you give us a a bit of a sense of what a typical day, is there a typical day in the life of Tracy Blake, lead physio for Canadian volleyball, or is it just a mix of different stuff and you've got to be very quick on your feet and adapting all the time?
1: I think, I mean, we do have a schedule, and so that's helpful. Like, we are an indoor sport, which helps with a lot of the controlling of things. When you are in an event itself, like when you're in a competition period, the International Sport Federation actually is often quite specific about what times you're allowed to do things like on-court training and how much access you have. If we use the Volleyball Nations League tournament and the bubble in there as an example, My day usually starts around six. I start with looking at the schedule that our team manager would have put in the chat the day before. I tend to not look at it then because inherently I will look at it, make an entire plan, and it will change after I've done it. I will look at where we're supposed to be eating, traveling, training, or playing, and then putting in treatment times that make sense for that schedule. Right now, there's actually two of us who are treating. So I will often talk to my counterpart, Melissa Healy, who's our, she's a lot of things on this trip, but she's athletic therapist, medical coordinator, COVID liaison officer. So I'll talk to her about what, if any, treatment times she wants to make available so that I can do it in one schedule. And then I also have what I call the dibs list. So if there were things that were injuries from the night before or things that are maintenance that I need to be looking at regularly or what have you. Those players also know who they are and that it's their day and and they sort of get first shot at whatever appointments I have. So sometimes there's three, it can be up to nine in a day, but we can be treating depending on games. We've had games that didn't start till nine o'clock. So I might have treatment times that don't start till post dinner, which might be 11 or 12, like 11, 11 or 12 midnight, depending on the day. In the training block that we're in now, we do two a day trainings. So we'll have a training in the morning that usually involves some sort of skill development. And usually our strength and conditioning workout happens in the morning training session. And then we have a more court-focused, game-focused, scrimmage type of practice in the evening. And the same thing happens. I just try and work my treatment times in and around that. The other thing that I'm responsible for with this team is nutrition and supplementation. So in addition to making sure our kit is ready, like our, our medical kit is ready, I also try to make sure that whatever snacks or hydration supplementation or protein supplementation that we need in order to meet the, the recommendations of our dietitian, I try to put those together as, as well and make sure that they get to where they need to know on any given day some of our folks listening who
0: are experienced working with teams in whether it's within olympics teams or in a professional league will will empathize with the craziness and the needing to have a flexible approach and certainly function as a team player for sure you get lots of different roles thrown at you it's not just okay i'm the physio so i go
1: and do physio things i think i think that's one of the the strengths of this this group that we're with now is that Our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Mel, our athletic therapist, we've now been joined by our performance, our mental performance consultant, but he was even remotely consulting before. Our team doctor doesn't travel with us, so he remotely consults. Like We know what the circumstances are, and we know that timing is going to be a little bit crazy. And a lot of the scheduled stuff or the things that can be scheduled are done to control the controllables, right? To leave ourselves free for the unpredictable. There are certain things that I seem rigid about, but it's more that I'm like, if we know that these things are happening, that allows for the curveball coming out of left field. Tracy, can you walk us through a little bit about the setup for Tokyo?
0: I think most of us will have heard that there's some kind of bubble arrangements and we're aware that the athletes, it's a very different experience for the athletes and for the support staff going as well. There's no sort of communal gathering and athletes are coming in and then they're going out as soon as their events are over. So from your perspective, can you give us a little bit of the inside track on what's what are the arrangements for Tokyo?
1: It is a very dynamic and fluid situation.
0: It's the theme of our podcast today dynamic and fluid
1: and flexible. That's it. And so, like, so normally we would have had as the Major Games Canada would have had a meeting with those people who are going to be part of the health services team, either the core pathway or those who are representing specific NSOs or sport disciplines. That meeting would normally happen in April of a year of a Summer Olympics. This year it happened in June for no other reason than the information was continually changing. That's it's changing still. Right. And so we are taking the information with a grain of salt and sort of trying to maintain as much agility as possible. As you said, there has been a lot of limitations with respect to entering and, and what we're doing in Japan. Our team is continuing to go forward with our acclimatization plan uh, that we had pre pre COVID, it's in an area of Japan that is has quite low numbers, and we've been checking in with them regularly, at some points daily, to ensure that not only what we were doing wasn't going to be uh, detrimental to them, what they needed for, for to feel safe with our coming, but also to make sure that we would have the support that we needed. There have been other teams who had plans to acclimatize in the south of Japan who made other plans altogether, given the state of emergency and the numbers of COVID there. So they are not going to be coming in. Some aren't coming in at all. Or some have found other places to do their acclimatization in other in other countries in the world. So once we get there, there is going to be lists and times for everything. There will not be a lot of like a lot of normally like it's quite a big community and you're seeing athletes from other teams and other places. And the CAF is basically just like a communal pool where you just casually slide up to get your breakfast next to Rafa Nadal. And it's all lovely. Those things will not be happening. So everything is on a time schedule. You have a scheduled time to eat. You have a scheduled time for the clinic. You uh, will have to schedule in ice baths, for example. All of those things are going to be scheduled as much as possible in order to maintain the spacing that's required. Things like going and exploring Tokyo or, or going out to Sapporo or, or any of those things in, in places that are holding venues will obviously not be happening. Being able to go to other events will not be allowed. For our team, it's going to be quite difficult because we are given a certain number of accreditations. And so what that means is that there is five of us currently who are allowed to be in the village with the athletes. Our team is bigger than that in terms of our support staff. And so the rest of our support staff will be at the performance center. That happens all the time. What is different this time is the restrictions regarding where the people who are in the performance center are allowed to go, whether it be a training venue, a competition venue into the village itself and the timeframes that that will be allowed in. So our current challenge Is understanding, because this is also something that's changing almost daily, is understanding what are the restrictions for a specific kind of accreditation? Let's say it's a day pass. And will that work with our training schedule for that person to actually be able to do their job within the confines? (laughs) And so that's what we're really looking at now is how can we maintain the sort of standards and expectations of excellence that we use to get us here within this incredibly structured, restricted environment, even within our own team. I'll go from having our strength and conditioning coach, athletic therapist, etc., cetera, all of us working together in tandem, where I will likely be the only front-facing person for the majority of the time.
0: And I think regular COVID
1: testing on top of all of that. Daily COVID tests, We will probably have multiple temperature checkpoints at venues, at the residence. Once your event is over, whether your event actually ends or whether you are done in your event, my understanding right now is that we have 24 to 48 hours to get out of the country. It's not just like leave the village, but to get out, to leave Japan. So no lingering, no traveling after, no watching the last event of your thing. So it sounds
0: like by the end of this you'll have logistics manager to add to your list of qualifications behind
1: physio and phd and organizer logistics manager inventory control supply chain management all the things we're adding them all. Tracy what
0: surprised you the most about the preparations for Tokyo? I think the
1: level of the level of communication that is required and the level of urgency do not always match. So what I mean by that is that when you are dealing with an event that crosses continents, when you're dealing with preparation that crosses continents and systems and governments, even in Canada alone, we have athletes coming from British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, Manitoba. So the way in which things are organized in each place They're not aligned with each other, much less aligned with our specific we niche of a thing. So really trying to work backwards, not only from what's needed, but how important is what's needed to the people that I need things from, and planning your timelines accordingly has been an exercise in it's been an exercise in patience and certainly an exercise in teamwork and communication. And the biggest challenge? I would say this is the most professionally humbling time in my career. You can't fix everything. You can't do everything. You can't be everything to everyone in a way that still serves you or serves the goal. How much of your
0: day is about proactive types of treatments, so say injury prevention exercises versus reacting or maintenance type of treatments that athletes you know, might ha- might be coming into a training block or into a competition with Existing stuff that you need to take care of. What's the balance of your workload there?
1: So, this year has been quite different. Generally, I would say it was closer to in in 2019, the last time we were together as a team. I'd say we were closer to 50 50, if not even a little bit more, like 60 40 injury prevention. In this case, I have spent way less time in the weight room and way less time in the off training. And that's as much about spacing. As it's been anything else, right? Our weight room is only so big. Um, our strength and conditioning coach needs to be in there. We have a really good relationship and communication, and so because of that, we've tried to space ourselves out so that we're not on top of each other and too many people in too small of an area, etc. In this particular instance, I'd say it's probably swung a bit the the other way, where. In my physical presence, I'm in the weight room less and I'm having conversations about the weight room more. When you're dealing with primary prevention, primary injury prevention is about catching things before they happen. Right. So essentially, in effect, working with healthy people to maintain and optimize that health and performance. And so, what that means in the case of this gig is that I'm essentially like, how am I going to help a high performance athlete stay a high performance athlete? In a sport where normally they have less than two weeks off a year, they go from pro right into international season and then whatever specific events, whether it's Olympics or World Cup or regional like Norsica competitions or what have you. Michael Cook, who's our strength and conditioning coach and going to be our incoming IST lead. We are very aligned philosophically. So we spend a lot of time. We spent a lot of time talking about the way in which we approach things and what we're looking for that's been a huge component of our work with this team over the last two years has been a real transdisciplinary approach to primary injury prevention through those particular functions. And then we'll extend oftentimes into maybe not the skill development component, but the load management component with our technical coaches and planning out practices as well. So there's quite a good communication stream that allows us to handle primary prevention through those sort of three factors. And then from the injury rehabilitation or return to performance aspect, this has been an interesting year because with the gap in time that we've had off last year due to COVID, how players have been training. And when I say players, like not just our team, just broadly around the world, and what their loads have been like, in effect, this has been the first international competition that many of these athletes have played in almost a year and a half. And so what their, whether their bodies were prepared for that or not, or how, how they've reacted to that stress, even after playing pro for a year, has made for a sort of an unpredictable profile in terms of injuries and who gets injured and what kind of injuries um, have come up that has led to an increase in my load on the injury rehabilitation side simply because there is no there's no um there's no roadmap no precedent no one's been through this before so everybody's sort of making it up on the fly and and reacting and responding as best they can and and so that's certainly true for me as well yeah and it sounds like your team have had the
0: benefit of having that time together pre-pandemic and i mean by your team i mean your snc psychology physio the the performance team or the medical support team have had the benefit of having that time together to build that multidisciplinary transdisciplinary relationship so that you are really all on the same page and supporting each other and then that i think puts you in a much stronger position to then work with athletes and and work really well as a as a whole team both athletes and the medical staff
1: yeah i think like there's something to be said for familiarity and alignment right and we don't always agree but we were together before the pandemic navigated the pandemic together and are are navigating the post post return to sport pandemic all together so no one's no one's necessarily out of the loop it's not like somebody didn't know what happened in june of 2020 or that somebody was unaware about what was going on when we were at either of our olympic qualifications right we have basically the same team. For me, I think it's been crucial to the success. And what I think we need to think about more as both as physiotherapists and as members of IST integrated support teams broadly is how do we develop this? Like, how do we have this not just happen magically at the senior level? What does it look like for our junior athletes? What does it look like for our next gen or B team athletes? And how do we, in the same way that we develop athletes with an expectation of what it looks like to be a team player, what it looks like to perform, we need to develop teams that are able to support that performance. And I think that's been a huge lesson in this time about how important that is and what where I think that we aren't addressing it early enough in the long-term athlete development initiatives that we take forward.
0: Yeah, and I wonder too whether it's about how do we – Build the blueprints and the pathways to developing these really strong teams outside of a crisis. Cause I think it's, it's amazing to see how these teams and how, how many people have kind of dropped everything and scrambled and put together some amazing support for athletes in a crisis. And let's face it, this was, is a crisis. We're still in it. It is a crisis situation. So how do we take what worked well and the benefits of doing that and the benefits that we could see of working? in a well-functioning team and then develop those teams and figure out how we can implement them in our sports medicine practice into the future. And, And as you say, so that it doesn't have to be just something that the very top level athletes get, how do we roll that out across all of our female teams and for all of the women in sport at all different levels and for the junior athletes, how do we make sure that they get that similar level of support?
1: I totally agree. And I think what you're talking about, like what it sounds like to me, is a radical reimagining. And this one was forced on us by circumstances at a global level from a public health and a social health perspective that collided and showed up and showered everyone, regardless of sector or space. And how do we take the fact that? That the response by and large could be done, that people showed up in ways, shapes, and colors that we did not expect. How do we harness that? How do we take that and not just acknowledge it as a one-off, but develop it intentionally in not just the practitioners at an individual level, but in the institutions and organizations that produce those practitioners? I mean, you and I share a passion around equity and justice in sports and We see what happens when there's an injection of new ideas. This one was forced upon us, but we see what is possible. And so what would happen when we deliberately and intentionally and sustainably look at ways to create environments and cultivate environments where that kind of diversity, that kind of inclusion, that kind of collective reimagining is the expectation and not the exception. Starting from a position of justice
0: rather than the position of inequity.
1: There's no need. Like we see that there's no need. We see that sport will not crumble underneath our feet if we reimagine what and how and who sport is for.
0: Tracy, good luck. Thank Take you. care. We're, we're all wishing you the very, very best. And thanks for taking the time to join me on the JOSPT
1: Insights podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, stitcher google or your favorite podcast app if you like jospt insights help others find us tell your friends and colleagues and raid and review us to keep up to date with all the latest jospt content be sure to follow us on twitter we're at jospt and facebook we're jospt official talk with you next time